Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date. By reading Life in Naples, the website is lifeinnaples.net. We've got terrific guests for today's show, including William Yatement. He's a research fellow at the Cato Institute. We're talking about the infrastructure saga, the continuing saga about the infrastructure plan. We'll also talk about the $6 trillion budget proposal. We'll also visit with Michael Cannon. Michael is the... Uh, uh, Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. Joel Griffiths is a research fellow in the Rowe Institute at the Heritage Foundation. We'll also be talking about the budget, and uh, we have a special guest later in the show as well. It is June the 4th, and on this day in 1919, the 19th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution granting women the right to vote was passed by Congress and sent to the states for ratification. The women's suffrage movement was founded in the mid-19th century by women who had become politically active through their work in abolitionist and temperance movements. In July 1848, 240 women suffragists, including Elizabeth Cady Stanton and Lucretia Mott, met in Seneca Falls, New York, the burnout district, up, upstate New York is where a lot of this stuff started, to assert the right of women to vote. Uh, female enfr enfranchisement was still largely opposed by most Americans, and the distraction of the North-South conflict and subsequent civil war precluded further discussion. During the Reconstruction era, the 15th Amendment was adopted, granting African-American men the right to vote, but the Republican-dominated Congress failed to expand its progressive radicalism into the sphere of gender. In 1869, the Women's, uh, National Women's Suffrage Association, led by Susan B. Anthony, and Elizabeth Cady Stanton was formed to push an amendment to the U.S. Constitution. Another organization, the American Women's Suffrage Association, led by Lucy Stone, was organized in the same year to work through the state legislatures. In 1890, the two societies were united as the National American Women's Suffrage Association. That year, Wyoming became the first state to grant women the right to vote. By the beginning of the 20th century, the role of women in American society was changing drastically. Women were working more, receiving a better education, bearing fewer children, and several states had authorized female suffrage. In 1913, the National Women's Party organization organized the voting power of the enfranchised women to elect congressional representatives who supported women's suffrage. And by 1916, both the Democrat and Republican parties openly endorsed female enfranchisement. In 1919, the 19th Amendment, which stated that the rights of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or any state on account of sex, passed, uh, it passed both houses of Congress and was sent to the states for ratification. Eight days later, the 19th Amendment took effect. That's quick. Despite the passage of the amendment and the decades-long contributions of black women to achieve suffrage, poll taxes, local laws, and other restrictions continued to block women of color from voting. It would take another 50 years for all women to achieve voting equality. 19th Amendment passed on this day in 1919. Well, a delegation from Pennsylvania will try to convince legislative leaders in the state to back an audit of the 2020 election after visiting an election review taking place in Arizona's largest county. That's Maricopa County. I'm 100% uh, for us having one, and I think our leadership is starting to lean that way. Pennsylvania Senator Chris Dush, hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, told reporters and the veterans at Memorial Coliseum in Phoenix, where the Maricopa County audit had been taking place since April the 23rd. Dush was uh, joined by rep uh, state Representative uh, Senator, I should say, Doug Maestriano and Pennsylvania Representative Rob Kaufman. Dutch said he was impressed by how the Arizona audit was being done, including how the firms hired by the Arizona state are handling chain of custody issues. I've never seen anything like it, he said. It's, to be quite honest with you, it was fantastic. I'd like to encourage other state legislatures to get down here and take a look at it as well, especially if you've had situations like we've experienced in Pennsylvania that really have our citizens in an uproar, he said. Maestriano told a pool reporter that his, he supports Pennsylvania conducting an audit. 
such as the one being executed in Arizona. So they went out to Arizona, they visited there, and uh, made this caveat. I'm not, it's not about overturning anything. I'm just trying to find out what went right, what went wrong, and how do we do better elections in the future, he said. That makes sense. I don't know why that should be a partisan issue. It should be bipartisan. But I think this whole thing is gaining steam. <clears throat> we have Maricopa County now going. Looks like Pennsylvania is going to do a deep dive into a full audit. We, of course, know that uh, right now, Georgia is uh, starting out audit process. Well, we expect that Pennsylvania, uh, that Wisconsin and Michigan will probably do the same thing. So uh, kind of falling like dominoes, and we'll see how this all turns out. But I suspect that uh, a lot of people are going to find out what I believe is the uh, there was a lot of dirty play in the election. And uh, quite frankly, my belief is that uh, President Trump won. Well, the U.S. is getting its groove back. It's been a whirlwind. At the height of the pandemic, the U.S. employment unemployment rate reached 15%. And at one point, the country saw an average of more than 3,000 virus-related deaths every day. But since March, a slew of states across the country have eased mask mandates and lifted restrictions. And more than half of all U.S. adults are fully vaccinated. It all appears to be uh, put the U.S. on a positive trajectory. Uh, so if you check uh, travel and spending are up, unemployment filings are down in the lowest level since the pandemic began. And still, the U.S. economic state isn't where it was pre-pandemic. The service industry is struggling to find workers. Uh, cases are at their lowest level in almost a year. In the past week alone, daily cases reported fell nearly 30%. And in the Midwest and Northeast, states have reportedly seen more than a 50% drop in the last two weeks. In 12 states, 70% of all U.S. adults have received at least one dose of the vaccine. And, uh, of course, uh, social, uh, socialization is coming back. Hugs, people are hugging each other, shaking hands. Social calls and reservations are coming back. Wedding season is upon us. So uh, it looks like people are getting back to work. People are beginning to socialize and getting back to normal. Now, in spite of that, President Joe Biden repeatedly called for Americans to drop their resistance to being vaccinated against uh, the virus on June the 2nd while announcing his administration's five-part plan for the month of June to encourage 70% of U.S. adults to get at least one dose of vaccine by July the 4th. This new effort, which includes reminding Americans of incentives being offered across the country, such as free beer, free child care, free sports tickets, and seeking to pull all the stops to reach the 70% figure so we can declare our independence from COVID-19, Biden said. By the way, where'd that 70% figure come from? I wonder if that's science, voodoo science, maybe. The president noted that 63% of U.S. adults have had at least one shot of vac vaccine against COVID-19 and the disease caused by the CCP. Uh, of the, this figure, 73% of adults over the age of 40 have had one dose. We especially need people under age 40 to step up, Biden said. Now, you know, right now, is it inertia? Are people just not getting a shot because they're waiting for a free beer or child care? I don't think so. I think there's other things involved. Uh, currently, the three CCP virus vaccines authorized for emergency use in the course are Moderna, Pfizer, and Johnson & Johnson. The first part of the Biden administration for June involves making it easier than ever to get the vaccine, with many vaccination sites having extended hours, including several pharmacies, which are expected to remain open for 24 hours every Friday uh, during June. Uh, child care companies such as KinderCare, Learning Care Group, and Bright Horizons, as well as hundreds of UIMCA locations, will offer free drop-in child care for parents while they get their vaccine with Uber and Lyft offering free rides to and from the vaccination sites, Biden said. Free child care, free rides, free shots. You know, I don't think that really addresses the issue here. People like me, for example, uh, have real skepticism about how healthy getting the vaccine is. It's, a, it's emergency use, recall, and it uh, didn't go through complete trials, which would have taken years, and I don't fault that. But each person should make up their own minds about their own health. Uh, the second part of Biden's plan involves increasing outreach efforts, which includes laun launching a We Can Do This national vaccination tour to encourage Americans to take the vaccine. 
<laughs> Vice President Kamala Harris will lead the tour headed across the southern and midwestern states where there's still millions of people to vaccinate, Biden said. I don't know why you wouldn't get somebody who's more popular than her to, to lead this effort. I don't think she's going to have a big appeal no matter where she goes. There's other parts to the program. The point being, uh, in the black communities, for example, local barbers, stylists, they become key advocates for vaccinations in their communities, offering information to customers, book appointments for them, and even use their own businesses as vaccination sites, said Biden. I'm not kidding. He really said that. So uh, I don't think this really addresses the real issue at hand. Some people are very skeptical about the uh, vaccine. And when you take a look at the situation, which is basically people, things are getting back to normal. People are shaking hands. Uh, this is becoming an afterthought now. And I don't know if you're not concerned about getting the, va- uh, the uh, virus. I don't know why you would uh, go get vaccinated. It's risky, just in my opinion. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, William Yateman, research fellow at the Cato Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best and building a performing arts center in downtown Naples. It's going to be beautiful. I hope you'll find out more by visiting golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Joel Griffiths from the Heritage Foundation. Right now we have with us William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure. Tell us about the Cato Institute. You bet. We're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., dedicated to the ideals of advancing a free society at every level of government. Cato.org is the website. So for the last, I'll bet you this has been now going on two months, we've been talking about this infrastructure saga, about uh, now uh, Biden's meeting with the GOP and negotiating. Uh, Can you give us an update? 
You bet. The, uh, yeah, indeed, the saga continues. Um, so uh, President Biden met with uh, West Virginia Senator Shelley Capitao, who's leading the GOP, the, who's the primary negotiator on behalf of the Senate GOP, um, met, met with him on Wednesday, and they're supposed to meet again today. And at this point, they're still pretty far apart, um, and the, the biggest sticking point seems to be the sums involved, and in particular, the amount of new spending involved. So uh, there's about $300 billion worth of uh, spending in the existing COVID stimuli that Congress has passed that can be easily repackaged into uh, transportation appropriations. And there's also, um, Congress is about to start, it's, uh, every five years it does a, a reauthorization of the transportation um, programs, and that's another $400 billion. So mm. all told, that's $700 billion in transportation spending that was pretty much, that could have happened anyway. Mm-hmm. On top of this, the GOP, their latest offer was about $250 billion of new spending. Um, President Biden initially wanted about $2.2 trillion of new spending, that's on top of the $700 billion um, that I'd spoke of, uh, spoken about. Um, but he's, his latest offer is to lower that to about $1 trillion in new spending. So the GOP is at about $250 billion of new spending. Biden's at $1 trillion. Um, that's a pretty big gap. I, I, I'm sympathetic to what Senator Ron Johnson said, which is, why would we, you know, $700 billion is a lot of money. Yeah. Um, but, why, you know, maybe we ought to think about just limiting it to that. He's uncomfortable with even what uh, Senator Capito has uh, offered up to Biden. So uh, notwithstanding kind of the, the difference on the amount of new money um, the respected sides want to spend, they're still far apart on, on what to spend it on. I mean, Biden is still intent on climate change and health care measures that don't have anything to do with transportation. Um, and they're still pretty far apart on how to pay. Um, with Biden wanting some sort of corporate tax increase and the GOP um, preferring some sort of a user fee, you know, an increase in the gas tax or or an electric vehicle per mile charge. Mm. So interesting. In fact, <laughs> Biden proposed a fifteen percent tax off for any corporation that doesn't pay taxes. Fifteen percent of what? For crying out loud, is <laughs> so interesting. <laughs> he is so so. You know what? The real issue here, I think, is that uh, we have a couple of senators, uh, Kirsten Cinema from Arizona, and uh, Joe Manchin from uh, West Virginia. Joe Manchin basically made a comment yesterday or the day before that, hey, this has to be bipartisan. Any infrastructure bill has to be bipartisan. He's he's also saying, you know, he's not going to allow the filibuster to go away. So, they're kind of he's kind of stymied i'm talking about president biden right now he and then the parliamentarian made an interesting judgment or or uh, ruling maybe you could tell us about it oh indeed so this is actually huge news um your listeners might be acquainted with this uh process known as uh, this parliamentarian process in the senate known as reconciliation um, and without going into the details, it allows the majority party in the Senate to avoid a filibuster by the minority party. Um, this is how, if your listeners will recall, Democrats passed the $2 trillion American Rescue Plan last March. Um, the, the long and short of it is that for uh, forever, I mean, for, for you know, as long as the, uh, as the Senate has had, uh, well, since 1974, I should say, um, when budget reconciliation became available, it has always been understood to only be available two times per legislative session, so basically two times every two years. Um, Senator Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader Schumer, earlier this year, claimed that he had won from the Senate parliamentarian, who, who sort of has the dispositive voice when it comes to interpreting the Senate's rules. Schumer had claimed that he won a ruling from the parliamentarian that effectively allowed him to use reconciliation and thereby circumvent the filibuster as many times as they wanted. Um, and indeed, this had factored into the ongoing infrastructure talks. Uh, mm-hmm. Biden had initially wanted $4 trillion worth of infrastructure spending, and then he ultimately decided, the White House did, to split that up uh, for, for a more traditional, um, even though it's I guess, loosely connected to infrastructure, but 
one package that would include roads and bridges in addition to the climate stuff and, and some healthcare spending, and then an altogether separate package that, that he intended to pass via reconciliation only through Democratic support. Um, so the upshot is that through this ruling this week by the parliamentarian, um, that in essence Schumer can only employ reconciliation and avoid the filibuster once more this session, it puts a major crimp on uh, the ongoing infrastructure negotiations. I mean, in essence, it puts in jeopardy the entire Democratic agenda. Mm -hmm. um, whereas before, uh, under what Charles Schumer had purported, the ruling he claimed to have won from the parliamentarian, they could have gotten everything they wanted on a straight party line vote. Yeah. Now they can only, in essence, get one bill. Um, on a party line, but. you know, it, it, this all goes back to the constitution of the brilliance of our founders and, and making sure that we have checks and balances. Uh, even under the current circumstances, uh, the progressive movement can't run away with our, our government. In other words, uh, checks and balances have been in place. And of course, thankfully for the uh, Senate rules that <clears throat> allow for the uh, require the filibuster and uh, require in most legislation, 60 percent of the votes to uh, to pass a bill you know i'll i'll, I'll echo that sentiment um it, it is a testament to our constitutional system and indeed it's a testament to the fact that norms still do exist somewhat on capitol hill that uh, the parliamentarian this independent neutral voice who, who regularly issues decisions adverse to either party i mean you know is, is a, but truly bipartisan um, uh, that this decision can come out and have this profound effect on limiting uh, what is politically achievable by the majority party, and that it's respected by the senators. Yeah. I mean, this is one of those things where uh, perhaps if it was a Senate full of 100 Chuck Schumers, they would go ahead and ignore the parliamentarian. But um, by and large, uh, certainly a critical mass of senators, enough to ensure that um, the body doesn't override this decision, um, they're respecting what she says, and, that, and that's a feather in the cap of our system. Absolutely. Uh, well, before I let you go, uh, you want to make a comment at all about Biden's $6 trillion budget proposal? Well, it's the, it would make uh, a debt the highest portion of our economy since uh, World War II. Indeed, it would exceed our GDP. Um, I'll just uh, caution our listeners that these budgets are aspirational, um, so, you know, every president puts out a, a budget that doesn't necessarily comport with reality. But even by those standards, um, this is out there. Yeah. So, the, you know, it's, it's virtually every progressive wish item imaginable um, within one document. Um, and again, the, the, were this to come to fruition, and I strongly doubt it would, um, then, you know, it portends all sorts of trouble for our nation's finances. No question. Again, William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. William, always appreciate your commentary. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure indeed. Again, Cato.org is the website. We're going to have another visitor uh, from uh, the Cato Institute. Michael Cannon is the uh, Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. We're going to visit with Michael. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate courtyard garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean dining room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round, Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshire Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape 
by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking platform. I hope you check it out. The website is choicesocial.us, choicesocial.us. Uh, we have with us Michael Cannon. He is the Director of Health Studies at the uh, Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Bob. Always a pleasure, Michael. You know, uh, the focus right now are the discussions around the infrastructure program, the budget, spending everything that's going on in the Biden administration not a lot of discussion at least that I'm aware of with regard to health care and insurance uh, what's going on so yeah that has been overshadowed by uh, President Biden's desire to spend trillions upon trillions of dollars on uh, on infrastructure but in his budget he did have a number of health care items huh. that uh, you know, health has always been a big priority for the Democratic Party, and we can expect him to return to these. Uh, some of them are proposals that you know I, I think should get a hearing. Uh, some of them have to do with reducing the amount of money that the Medicare program spends on things like prescription drugs, and I think that's meritorious. Uh, I think the, the the Democrats and the left have been better than Republicans and the right have about recognizing that the Medicare program sets prices too high sometimes uh-huh. yeah. and, and pays drug companies too much. Uh, uh, and, and I think that you know, advocates of limited government need to recognize that and give credit where credit is due uh, and uh, maybe even lend support to some of the, I, not, not, not all of the ideas, but some of the ideas that Democrats have offered to reduce government spending in that way. Unfortunately, the Democrats often want to plow those savings instead of uh, instead of uh, returning that uh, that money to taxpayers or leaving it with taxpayers, not taking it in the first place. Uh, a lot of Democrats want to plow those savings into new forms of government spending, like another item in President Biden's budget, which is expanding or making permanent the the, the temporarily expanded subsidies for people who enroll in Obamacare plans. And here I'm talking about the subsidies for people making up to half a million dollars per year. Hmm. This is the Congress in its wisdom already decided that the Affordable Care Act makes health care, health insurance so unaffordable that even people making half a million dollars in a year need subsidies to help afford it. Uh, problem with that is you subsidize people making up to a half a million dollars a year. There aren't that many people left to tax to pay for those subsidies. Yeah. And so this is just ridiculous that, that uh, it shows that the Affordable Care Act is not making health care affordable, that we need to move in another direction. Uh, that part of President Biden's budget, President Biden's budget deserves uh, to be dead on arrival in Congress. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of Democrats want to pass that. You know, uh, Michael, a couple of things that have, uh, uh, that have been proposed, at least coming from the left in the past, have been the expansion of Medicaid, uh, the... Uh, uh, lowering the age for qualification for Medicare. Where do those things stand? So there are 12 states that have not adopted the <clears throat> Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare's Medicaid expansion. Mm-hmm. And President Biden and his budget has some incentives to try to encourage states to do that and also proposes to offer a so-called public option uh, for states that don't expand Medicaid, 
what he calls Medicaid-like coverage through a federal public option paired with financial incentives to ensure that states maintain their existing Medicaid expansions. And uh, the problem there is he is talking about uh, throwing more money at a program that it turns out states don't want. Uh, the, uh, the Medicaid expansion itself is unpopular or else states would have raised the tax revenue and expanded Medicaid on their own, paying 100% of the cost. Uh, but the voters in states would never have gone for that. That's why the, the, the federal government had to pay 90% of the cost. And now President Biden is proposing to have the federal government pay even more hmm. and administer a health plan uh, as a sort of public option. It's not really a public option the way that uh, the left has talked about a public option, uh, but uh, he's, he's hanging that label on it because that has currency on the left. The problem with the, pub, with the public option concept is, is that the, the left doesn't really support it. They don't want to make it an option. They want to drive private health insurance out of business, and in order to do that, they want to create a government-run program that they shower with so many special subsidies that, uh, that, that private insurance uh, cannot compete and disappears. And uh, it appears that that's what President Biden wants to do, uh, or something like that, uh, with uh, in states that have not expanded Medicaid. Mm. And um, uh, my take on a public option has always been: look, if you want, if if you want open competition between the government and private insurance on a level playing field, which is what advocates of a public option say they want, then let's start with Medicare. Level the playing field between the traditional fee-for-service Medicare program and Medicare Advantage plans that are plans that private, where private insurers administer Medicare benefits. And to do that, what you have to do is you have to make Medicare look like Social Security, where you give seniors the cash and then let them choose in a cost-conscious way between traditional Medicare, which has to sink or swim on the revenue that, that seniors pay to it in premiums, or private insurance that has to operate under the same rules. Uh, the left will not go for that because they know that that means that even more seniors will choose private insurance over traditional Medicare because traditional Medicare will lose all of the special advantages that they want it to have. Yeah. And, uh, and so we can really expect to see more of that in any public option plan that the Biden administration advances. You know, uh, Michael, you've been so consistent in that uh, recommendation. I think it's a great idea. First of all, if we can make our own decisions with regard to our health insurance and our health care, uh, that is going to, in and of itself, if we have skin in the game, <clears throat> and uh, even if the money is given to us, that's still our skin in the game. We're going to make, we're going to invest that money wisely. It's going to drive down prices, uh, not only for drugs, but off, but also for other types of health care as well. I would guess. And that can help reduce, even though it's not your money, really, it's the government's money that they're giving you, just like the Social Security program does. Uh, once 60 million seniors be begin acting in a cost-conscious way when it comes to their health care, prices, as you say, are going to fall, and that will show that we don't need to spend as much money as we are currently spending on the Medicare program in order to provide quality health care to seniors, and we can reduce spending in Medicare. Yeah. Uh, we can first reduce the rate of growth to the same rate of growth as the Social Security program. That would be a start. But then as prices continue to fall, we will see that we can actually uh, reduce uh, even uh, reduce the rate of growth of Medicare spending even beyond that. And yeah and make that program less of a burden on taxpayers and future generations of taxpayers. Michael Cannon, again, uh, Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. Cato.org is the website, C-A-T-O dot org. Michael, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Anytime, Bob. Take care. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Joel Griffith. He's a research fellow at the Rowe Institute at the Heritage Foundation. We're going to talk about this $6 trillion budget. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Joel Griffiths. He's a research fellow in the Rowe Institute at the Heritage Foundation. Joel, thank you so much for joining us. Hello, good morning, and thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure, Joel. Uh, for our listeners that may not be familiar with the Heritage Foundation, maybe you can tell us about it. Oh, Sure. Well, the Heritage Foundation is a think tank uh, in Washington, D.C., and when I say think tank, uh, a lot of people haven't heard of what that is, and what we do is we, we look at policy, we recommend policy, and the entire purpose of every policy that we recommend to the government is to ensure a nation where we can have a civil society and where opportunity can flourish, and we know the best way to do that is by maintaining a commitment to the rule of law, to private property rights, to limited government, and to federalism. Absolutely, Joel. We're certainly in alignment with the mission of this show, so so glad that you could join us. So uh, right now, uh, Biden, <laughs> right before Memorial Day, says that I've got a budget package for you at $6 trillion. I thought I'd get your assessment of what you think. <laughs> yeah, well, this $6 trillion budget, it's, it's truly a travesty. This is completely irresponsible. It's unsustainable. It's imprudent. And these numbers have become so large, it is difficult to get our minds around what $6 trillion is. And think about it this way. We've got just over 300 million people in this country. A $6 trillion budget comes to close to $80,000 per year per family of four. Wow. That is a lot of money. And, of course, government spending for years has been out of control but the six trillion dollar level this this is a this is a government that is 50 percent larger than it has been at any time up to 2018 um because we saw an explosion of spending last year ostensibly to counter COVID, although much of that was wasteful as well right what this budget does is it locks into place um spending at these dramatically higher levels and ultimately we're going to have to pay for it um, either in higher taxes, or if we don't see the higher taxes, as politicians often like to find other ways to uh, to fund these enormous proposals, well, you, you might see our central bank printing additional dollars to buy up government debt, which would result in slower economic growth and higher inflation, which we've actually been experiencing over the past year. I think most of us have noticed. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm for 
a limited government, uh, lower amounts of government. I'm for individual freedom and uh, personal responsibility. It appears that the Biden uh, administration is for big government. What they want is to expand government to, uh, uh, I'm going to say, invade or to occupate, uh, occupy some space in our individual lives. And uh, that's just, it gums up the work. It's like walking around in saltwater taffy. <laughs> Businesses can't operate freely, and uh, it just really uh, hampers, I think, the entire free enterprise process. Yeah, I think you, you, you um, pointed out something very important. This isn't just about the spending, even though spending is important. This is one out of every $4 in the economy would go to the federal government, and that's um, unacceptable, and that's a level, um, really, that's higher than anything we, we've seen since um, World War II on a prolonged basis. But it's all these other parts of the budget where the spending is going to cause the government to occupy other parts of our life. Look at the energy component. Yeah, um, We heard a lot about the Green New Deal during the presidential campaign when Bernie Sanders was was um, on that stage running for, for president. Well, this plan actually incorporates a lot of that Green New Deal, which would force Americans to abandon affordable fuel sources like natural gas that have enabled us to heat our homes, to cool our homes, to drive, to manufacture at costs that are far less than other parts of the world. And it would actually force us to embrace what California has tried to do and parts of Europe have tried to do, which is forcing um, people to transition to other types of energy. Well, that has a cost to it. Sure. Not just in the cost of heating your home, cooling your home, but it means lost jobs. It means lost economic output. Now, there's a reason why our country, with the freedom we have, particularly the energy sector, there's, a, there's reasons why our typical family here earns more and our energy costs are less. Well, this would, as you said, gum it up uh, because it would force us um, to, uh, to, uh, to abandon our abundant um, fuel sources. But there's a big education component of this as well. The, the Biden budget would um, put tens of billions of dollars into um, pre-K yeah. and really trying to take over the education sector. Of course, there's strings attached with that. There's mandates attached with that. Now, we've been concerned for years about um, students going into, into, into state schools and instead of being, instead of learning what they need to um, learn in order to function in society and to be good citizens, uh, there's been a lot of indoctrination. Yeah. Well, this would actually fund um, local schools trying to get kids in there at three and four years old. It, was, it would influence family decision making, where you know parents would want their children maybe to be at home for that extra year when they're three and four years old. A lot of parents like being around their children. And this would force a lot of parents to have to make a decision that they wouldn't otherwise have to make. Yeah. Uh, do we, if we, if they want to send their children to a public school and have them start in kindergarten, or they're going to have to, to 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 lose their children to that school at a much earlier age. You know. Um, and we could go on and on. I don't know how much detail you want, uh, but there's a lot in this budget that gives us a lot of pause for deep concern. Yeah. In addition to the fact that it's unaffordable and unsustainable. So, Joel, I mean, to me, it appears that uh, right now, the, uh, the with this pushed for preschool, it looks to me like the you know they're trying to invade the area of uh, parenting. It, parenting belongs to parents; it doesn't belong to the U.S. government or to uh, state governments. Uh, parents should be, make the call with regard to their kids' education, and they should have school choice, in my opinion, as well. Yeah, well, traditionally, um, education um, of of the youth has been left to state and local governments. That's not a, it's not an enumerated power for the federal government. And our politicians in D.C. have lost sight of that. Um, the only power that the federal government is supposed to have are those powers delineated, given to it in the Constitution. Right. Um, education is not one of them. But over time, you've seen the federal government give more money to states and local governments for schooling, and there's always strings attached, and there is a danger to that. When you have local control of schools, local school boards, sure, you still have problems with public schooling, but at least parents do have recourse, because parents, if they want to get engaged, they can actually nominate and elect people to the school board right. and make these decisions um, that um, over what their children are being taught and how the school is operated. When you have the federal government making these grants or the, forming these programs uh, for, of aid to these local public schools, those come with mandates and they come with strings attached. And it really, it takes power away 
from parents in these districts, and it puts the power in the hand of the bureaucrats in Washington, D.C. at the Department of Education. Yeah. Um, this is dangerous, and this budget is full of that, though. And I'm, I'm, the, and I'm the pre-K, and I'm the child care um, area. Uh, I, I know that on the surface, sometimes having funded uh, child care, that might sound like a positive. But once again, this is incentivizing some families to put their children at an early age mm -hmm. into child care. And this isn't, uh, in fact, this, this is often to the detriment uh, of children. We've seen, uh, we saw a study that came out of um, Quebec. This is a study by J.D. Vance and Jeanette Erickson that looked at what the government subsidized child care did for Quebec's children. And you saw increases in things like anxiety and aggression, hyperactivity of these children in Quebec that were put into these government-funded early child care programs. Um, so, you know, be, beyond the overspending, and this is an imprudent it's a, uh, budget that's going to really be a millstone around our next few years to come, the, the, the programs that it's funding are dangerous oftentimes as well. Joel Griffith, again, Research Fellow at the Rowe Institute at the Heritage Foundation. Joel, just really appreciate the, this very informative uh, discussion. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you for having me this my, morning. My pleasure indeed. And again, I should, should have asked him about the uh, website for the Heritage Foundation. I believe it's heritage.org, if I'm not mistaken, heritage.org. In any event, you can also uh, Google it to find out. All right, coming up, we're going to have a nice visit with my lovely wife, Linda. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. The dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, Downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. To find out more and to make a reservation, visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board. Among other things, they create policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We have with us my lovely wife, Linda. She just got back in the saddle to write greetings from paradise. Linda, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning. Good morning. A lot it was of people. nice to get some rain yesterday, by yeah, the way. It was. Hey, a lot of people are pretty happy that uh, you, you wrote another edition of Greetings from Paradise. Is this uh, perhaps uh, uh, anticipating uh, more? Are you going to uh, continue to do Greetings from Paradise? Yeah, I will. I mean, people are writing me saying how often I've gotten a lot of request to be on my um, email list too, which is great, but 
Um, they're asking me how often do I write it, and it's just as the spirit leads or as the news breaks. As and, the news breaks, indeed. Uh, by the way, you can visit uh, uh, Greetings from Paradise on my website, bobharden.com. You see a pull-down tab, and there's uh, a history, a long history of uh, Linda's uh, missiles, Greetings from Paradise. So uh, what's new in the news? Well, California is lifting its restrictions in two weeks, except they're still insisting... I mean, everything will be open, but they're still insisting that even people who have been vaccinated wear masks. And and like I just told you off air, um, I'm reading about and heard it on Fox News actually this morning was, was that there's an uptick in cases of aspirational pneumonia hmm. in California. So I looked it up saying, huh, what's that? And it's it's pneumonia that you get from breathing in crap that you shouldn't be breathing in. Anything that's in your mouth or whatever... Um, it just comes back uh, and infects your lungs. It's it's just such a hot mess. Well, you just think about it. Uh, when you're breathing with a mask on, you're basically uh, breathing in the waste that you've <laughs> you breathed out uh, because it's just trapped in the mask. So it's uh, there's got to be bad consequences of that. Well, well, and and wearing masks nonstop also destroy your teeth by the way. And so aspirational pneumonia, if you've got bad teeth and bad gums and you've got a mask on and you're breathing all that infection in your mouth back in your lungs. So, you know, what's really, again, we live in the land of the free. Uh, thank goodness for Governor DeSantis. He's just done, made great decisions with regard to our safety and uh, our well-being, kept the economy open. Uh, we've benefited from it. Unemployment rate is down low compared to uh, other blue states. But uh, one of the things I really appreciate is no mask mandates uh, and, and no limitations. Frankly, if a, if a municipality, for example, decided to impose fines, he's he's saying, nope, you can't do that. Well, I mean, if they if they try to impose fines, it's it, it's on them. It's right. five thousand dollars per per case if they yeah. try to enforce that so it's it's a no win for them hey by the way i think there's a showdown occurring here between the cruise lines uh and uh i guess it's who is it which cruise line well it doesn't matter but the point being is that uh they want to have some sort of a vaccine requirement to to get on the ship and the governor's saying no you can't do that if you're going to be sailing out of our ports who's going to win uh right now i'm just cooling my jets and i think that um I think that DeSantis, my money's on DeSantis. Yeah, me too. I mean, I, I just think that they don't, have a, they don't have a good argument. Oh, by the way, where's the first place that people get sick before the coronavirus ever hit? Was cruise lines, mm -hmm. right? I mean, they get all these viruses, so how are they going to check, check for them? I think Legionnaire's disease ex occurred on... Uh, You're exactly right, Legionnaire's disease. And by the way, they, they can't ask... They can't ask about people's medical history. No. They can't. That's against the... Federal law. Federal law. Yeah. So um, I, I don't know I don't know how they're going to get the way around this. By the way, did you hear that Rick Scott is going to... is um, trying to get a bill up that is going to force um, airlines not to have uh, vaccine uh, passports too, which is really cool. For, for domestic flights. For domestic flights. That is great, indeed. So just very appreciative of that. You know, the, the thing is, you see how governments just enjoy the power. It's almost like a drug. It's addictive, you know, because once they expand the power to, for example, mask mandates and other requirements, closing down gyms and so forth, it must just give a real high to politicians who well, voted into office. You know, just, just, to, just to do a vast overview of all that's happened within the last year, it's become... I mean, more and more clear to me and to others, by the way, the Great Awakening is that all of this stuff with the virus and whatever was meant to do exactly that, control the people in order to control the election, yeah. in order to get this great reset going. And it's scary how many people just fell into line yeah. and said, yes, sir, yes, sir, three bags full, when, and didn't even bother to say, wait a minute. What's happening here? Yeah, you're right. In fact, Fauci said uh, face masks don't do you any good, especially these cloth masks. They don't do any good. Now, he said that back in, I think it was March of 2020, and uh, then he changed his tune to insisting on masks. Uh, I think it's a more political thing. The CDC and uh, Dr. Fauci have been more politically motivated than they've been healthcare motivated. 
Well, there's even there's even film of Fauci warning the Trump administration that there was going to be a surprise pandemic. That was that was in 2019, I believe, that he said that. And really, hmm. and nobody nobody paid any attention to it. So what do you think about this uh, all of a sudden uh, Wuhan lab stuff, uh, which was uh, basically dismissed by the mainstream media? Now it looks like uh, there's an admission by the mainstream media and uh, many others that uh, the, the uh, virus came from the lab. Well, there's more and more uh, cases for it. And, and you know who's, who's the best person that's proving that this needs to be looked into more and more? Rand- is, Fau- is Fauci. Fauci keeps flip-flopping on his stance all the time. Yeah. First it was, oh, it couldn't possibly come from the lab. And then, oh, well, we should look into it because it may have come from a lab. Uh, but it's not... It's not. Didn't do it on purpose. Didn't do it on purpose. <laughs> and, and with all these emails, by the way, a new, a new batch of emails, supposedly, from Fauci um, have come out. And, and he's just all over the place on this. And he's tap dancing as fast as he can, but, but he's proving what a, what a hot mess this is. And it's, yeah. and it's, it's all in his lap. It's yeah, all in his lap. Well, he should be wearing an orange jumpsuit, in my opinion. But it, 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 that probably will never happen. But at least he should not be in the public sphere um, giving announcements and making announcements about people's uh, public health. And by the way, the mainstream media doesn't know how to cover that. One, once they're, they're trying to keep him as their shining star, and yet he's coming up with... MSNBC, this Nicole Wallace who used to work for George Bush, made an absolute fool out of herself yesterday saying, oh, well, your emails are above, above reproach. Really? <laughs> did you even bother to read them? But, and by the way, did you bother to ask him why so much of them were redacted? I mean, it is just amazing. And the media is apoplectic. The mainstream media is, even Fox is apoplectic. They don't know what to cover. Um, Fox is dipping in a little bit to um, this election fraud that's going on. Um, but between the Wuhan, now we're finding out that Redfield, the former CDC director, was his life was threatened if he spoke out about this lab theory. So really? Yeah. Well, that's, that's one of the operational methods of the, of the left, quite frankly, is making threats. By the way, not to change subjects radically here, but not, the good news is that the Pennsylvania delegation going out to Maricopa County to do an inspection of the uh, audit that's going on. They were just amazed at what they saw. I think this is going to lead to uh, an audit in Pennsylvania. I think it's going to lead to an audit in Georgia. Dominoes are falling. Um, just to do a shout-out to Mike Lindell of My Pillow, his lawsuit against, that he dropped yesterday for $2 billion against Dominion and Smartmatic. Um, I watched a little of his um, 9.0 movie yesterday. The information he has is heart-stopping that China infiltrated our election and the algorithms that they have recorded coming in in all these swing states. Uh, 9.0 meaning basically that uh, once it gets to the Supreme Court... Absolute 9.0. Absolute that uh, all justices of the Supreme Court will support overturning the election. And can I just say for a second that um, that we know he's on to something huge, because I posted uh, Absolute 9.0 on Facebook. I can't on Twitter anymore because I'm banned for life. But I posted it on Twitter. <laughs> and, and guess what? Guess what? Facebook took it down. Facebook took it down and said, this isn't right. Really? What isn't right about it? Yeah. So I'm in a battle with Facebook right now saying, Mark Zuckerberg is, is an enemy of free speech. What, why are you so afraid of this? Back and forth is very interesting to watch. You know, it's, it's, it's a new virtue signaling from the, uh, from the right, from conservatives to be, well, I was banned from Facebook. <laughs> well, well, it is. And, and it's, it's interesting because there's an army of us out there who are just going on other social media platforms and just screaming, um, like Chris, and you know what? I won't do that on Greetings from Paradise, but I'm I'm glad that I have other platforms like Gab and Telegram to to get my news from and and to to spread the news because they can't stop us. Yeah, that's right, Linda. Always a pleasure to get your very well informed commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. All right. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly had fun and learned a lot uh, on Monday. 
We're going to visit with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Larry Reed is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. And Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of a couple of great murder mysteries. Uh, Jim McTagg will be joining us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>